All right, all right. Welcome back to the Behind the Back podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Marcos Conan-Negron, and beside me here is Ben the Jet Rets. Ben, how are you feeling? <laughs> I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I'm still. I'm. I'm holding on. I'm, I'm gonna. There's gonna be a lot of coping in this episode, so you know, brace yourself. It's gonna be great. So, before we get started. We are on YouTube. If you didn't catch our episode last week, that was the first episode we dropped. It was a preview into this fun matchup that we had. And uh, you will be able to find us there as well as all of those audio platforms, Spotify, Apple, all those if you'd like. So we're just letting you guys know we're on there so you can see us and comment with us and, you know, go along for the ride. So without further ado, we got a lot to talk about today, Ben. But today we got to talk about what's on everyone's mind. The NBA in-season tournament with the Sacramento Kings and the New Orleans Pelicans playing, right? How, how are we feeling about that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, super pumped about that. But aren't you missing something? What? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I think, didn't the Niners, like obliterate the eagles yesterday no, no we're not we're not talking uh, uh, no uh, we don't want to talk about <laughs> oh okay <laughs> okay okay no 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 but okay with that being said yes like ben said the eagles and the niners played last night in the marquee game that never happened so the niners came out and just stomped on the eagles at home so ben you're the victor in the first ever behind the back podcast matchup between our two teams so i'm gonna let you set the stage how are you feeling what do you want to start with from the game? Um, honestly, so my initial thoughts after the game were like, I knew we were going to win that game. I had a strong feeling going in. Hence why I said 35-24 is my final score. However, I wasn't expecting that dominating of a, of a win. Like It was definitely a top showing for the Niners. And the Eagles, it, it looked like they were tired. You know, simple as that. Um, they played some exhausting games back to back to back. Yeah, it was just it was just one of those weeks where they they were due for that loss, kind of like what we were talking about, and it it showed. I mean, simple as that. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the starting off the game, the game started off well. The Eagles were able to move the ball, but they weren't able to capitalize in the red zone. And I that set the stage moving forward because yeah. they were able to get the pressure and, you know, coming out fresh, the hype right out of the gate. The Eagles were the ones setting the tone to start, but the Niners were able to hold strong until their offense figured everything out. And then they did something that hasn't happened in since 2000, where they scored on their on their next six possessions. And that just um, blew the game wide open. And we'll, we'll go into it a little bit more, but there are definitely a couple moments in this game where I just felt like, dang, had we had this, had we had that, maybe we could have made it a closer game. Maybe the momentum would have switched a little bit, missed opportunities on the Eagles for defense. But I think the biggest issue for, you know, what this showed for both teams, obviously the Niners now have established the fact that they can beat anybody anytime, anywhere, very much how like the Eagles did when they played the Chiefs. They, 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 they gave that statement to them where they can beat anyone anytime anywhere and firmly establish yourselves as right now Super Bowl favorites because you beat the team that was Super Bowl favorites so for the Eagles it just showed I don't know if it was so much like they got exposed so much as we're we got shown what we already knew and that this defense is old and they struggled to keep up with the athletes that the Niners were you know dishing out out there it looked fine at times but the Niners figured it out, and the Eagles were just daring. Instead of daring Brock to 
they cut off his distance, right? Like his air yards. They rocked through like the yep. second lowest air yards per attempt that he had this season or something like six point yards, six yards versus the nine that he had been averaging. So the Eagles are saying, hey, we're going to take your dink and dunk, dunk stuff. We're going to try to make you do that and we'll try to finish the plays. And that was the issue. We couldn't finish the plays. So when did you think that you really noticed the switch in the offense here? It was actually really early on. It was the first completion. If you're talking about in this game, it was the first completion to Brandon Ayuk um, that we had after the two, three and outs. We, uh, up to that point, we hadn't been able to move the ball. And then we got backed up to, it was like our own like nine or something like that. Um, after the penalty, yeah. Yep, after the penalty. And it was, I think, first or second down. And um, and Brock finds Brandon Ayuk. And Brandon goes up, you know, three yards after the catch and then makes it a third and short. And I was like, okay, if we get this first down, like we're, we're in the game. And then they got the first down and then they kept marching and marching. And it was first down, first down, first down, touchdown, CMC. And it was, it was beautiful. I was like seven to six. And at that point I was thinking, I was like, this game is not over, but definitely you sense that momentum shift in the sense that the Eagles are yet to punch the ball into the end zone. And they've had two great opportunities to do that. And the Niners in both areas, in both situations, showed up and said, we'll, we'll bend, but we're not going to break. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not going to break through our defense. You will, you will bend us to our almost breaking point, but we're not going to let you in. And that's one of those, that's that resilience that the Niners have been showing in every level of their defense since getting Chase Young. It was, it was exactly what I expect them to do in this game. So... From a defensive perspective, it was really promising. So to see that, see us go down the field, it's such a long field in as as short a time as we did. It wasn't like, you know, three minutes or anything like that, but it didn't feel like an elongated drive. And to be able to march down with relative ease, it felt like we were going to be able to do that again. Obviously, they went down five times more in a row <laughs> after that and scored a touchdown. So, yeah, and there were opportunities again for the Eagles to take back momentum i again being the negative kind of person that i am when i watch these games it's part of my process i when the niners went up 14-6 going into half i was like that's it like the niners are too good of a team to bounce back from in that regard and when the eagles okay so we'll talk about the moment that drew everybody's attention was when dre greenlaw got into it with the eagles head of security dom and this came after he aggressively threw down Devontae smith when he didn't have to after the play was basically already dead and it led to the ejection of Drake Greenlaw and Dom, the head security guy, I don't know his last name, but got the whole city riled up. Everyone was riled up and the Eagles, you know, capitalized on the 30 yards worth of penalties and were actually able to push it in via the tush push, make it 21 13. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, if we're going to try and change momentum, it has to be now defensively. And on that drive, the one that, the play that got away from me was that almost interception by Reed Blankenship. Now, that's a tough play to make. Brandon Ayuk's hands were on it as well. So I like I can't just say like, oh, it was a dropped interception. But like had it went our way, that could have swung momentum at least a little bit, gave the Eagles a little bit more Absolutely. time to hold possession. That was a big one to me. And great shout out to, uh, to Kyle Shanahan because he adjusted so well. And he neutralized the Eagles pressure that was getting to Brock on those first two possessions. And my the best best notice of this was when they almost faked the one that George Kittle had where he had those huge yards after catch where he Hassan was coming in. Kittle gives him a little block. 
and then nobody picks him up yep. because Hassan just decides to go instead of dropping and then Kittle's just wide open. And that kind of set the stage for how to attack the Eagles offense moving forward. Obviously, Debo had a few just awesome plays where no one could bring him down. The screenplay was re- went really well. And then he had the slant that he just took to the you know to the house after Nicholas Morrow just bounced off him. Like Debo Samuel came and backed up all that talk that he had coming in. And that's what players like, you know, players on these kind of teams do that. And it just shows that for people want to criticize Debo as being a like a gadget player, a part of the system. Um he's like he's like the system wide receiver, just as much as like Brock is the system quarterback in other people's opinion, because Brandon Ayuk is technically the more I wouldn't say talented but like skilled oriented receiver versus Debo is just a, I'm going to bruise right through and it just showed against a team that uh coming into this game was actually second best at uh yards per you know after just stopping yak yards the Eagles were doing a really good job wrapping teams up this year but no team is the Niners with their physicality and so there's a lot to unpack with just how well everything went. So let's let's start with before we you know go into bits and pieces of this game. I want to talk to you about something that we brought up. Let's talk about the MVP conversation. So there, so the talk is is Brock Purdy the MVP after this game, or at least the front runner, because you know it's at this stage, especially after Mahomes lost over the weekend as well. It's Brock and Dak Prescott. So yep. Now, the argument here is people are also mentioning, hey, is Christian McCaffrey also considered for the MVP? And I want your opinion on this. I know where you're going to go with this, but I'm curious to think, you know, just have you thought of both sides of the coin with, you know, when you look at the way Brock played, he had over, like the team had over 200 yards of yak yards, like they, because the Eagles just couldn't tackle anybody. But that's also for a quarterback, it's like, it's a product of taking what you're given. So what what was your opinion of Brock in this game? And also CMC, how would you, how would you view this MVP conversation? So the MVP conversation really, this is going to, it sounds biased, but in my opinion, Brock and CMC are both top three candidates for MVP right now. Um, and I will argue that CMC is probably more in, in terms of if you break down what MVP stands for most valuable player, right? What CMC brings to the table on a week to week, day to day basis, he proves to be the more, more valuable player to the 49ers and to any league. If you think about it, you can't necessarily throw Brock in any system in the league and succeed the way that Brock is succeeding. And that team is succeeding, right? If you throw a CMC at any team in this league, I don't care what team you're throwing him at. You can throw him back on the Panthers. He's going to get them single-handedly probably two or three more wins, right? right? So that's the level of MVP that uh, status that CMC's at. Like he probably is the true MVP. Now, if we look at how the MVP is broken down um, from a league standpoint and how they've always, you know, awarded this this status, first of all, m- like 90 plus percent of the time it's a quarterback right second of all it's statistically based it's not based on a story it's not based on the guys around him it's based on this quarterback having this many stat have have this you know uh amount of stats and winning playing winning football so if we take out the fact that Brock Purdy is 
the most underpaid quarterback in NFL history right now because he was Mr. Irrelevant. And we take away the fact that um, that he has all these different weapons on his team that he's throwing to at any given time. And also, you know, having that running game of CMC. If you take all that away and you just look at him statistically, he's an MVP. Like, I look at the last 10 MVPs from Lamar Jackson, Patty Mahomes, Brady was in there. Like, um, I think even uh, Peyton Manning was in there. I think he was uh, like 10 years ago almost now. Um, when I look at their – Rodgers, absolutely, yeah. When I look at their stats, Brock's well on his way to having those stats worthy of MVP level. So what I'm confused on is why are we not giving – Brock those flowers when everybody else gives those flowers to other quarterbacks. Like I got one more thing on this too. And I'm, I, I'm a little heated about it because okay. I feel like I'm playing on a, a broken record here. Okay. Jalen hurts. Great quarterback. He is playing behind a hall of fame level offensive line. Did you see how much time that man had to throw the ball during this game against a defensive line that is arguably the most dominant in the league. It is arguable between our two teams and Dallas. Like it's, it's the NFC at this point, but dominant and uh, defensive line. And yet that hall of fame level offensive line was holding, was, was holding our they pressure ever, all, all the entire game. Yeah. They did right? a great job. Yeah. All the sacks that came was from Jalen. Like he held right. it way too long. So then it comes down to his receiving core. His receiving core has been, phenomenal as well aj brown on broken plays is a dog on a broken route he comes back to his quarterback he finds the open space he gives his quarterback jalen hurts an option to throw to at any given time okay Devonte smith will make pretty much any damn catch you throw at him like and he made some good running you know he was able to he makes physical plays too no matter his absolutely. size absolutely he broke many tackles <laughs> this season and in this game too like he he's a dog so that receiving core awesome Dallas Goddard, when he's in and healthy, awesome. So what I'm confused on is why are we overlooking those things that Jalen Hurts have, and then we look over the other things that Dak Prescott has, but when it comes to Brock Purdy, oh, no, no, Brock Purdy's not that good. He's just got all these weapons and all these things going for him. <laughs> yeah, I know, and that's the hard part about the – so when people want to view, like, the quarterback when they when they're evaluating like Brock specifically and then you have someone of equal talent like okay so here's here's a good comparison so Brock and CMC is almost kind of like in terms of how they're viewing it is almost like how people view Tua and Tyreek they're like Tyreek is what makes Tua look so awesome because he's a one-of-a-kind level talent for the one-of-a-kind system that works so well with Mike McDaniel all that fun stuff so there's just as much of an argument when you look at Miami, like who really is the MVP of that team? Who is more valuable to that team? People wouldn't, there would be a good percentage. I would say Tyreek. Now for this situation though, when CMC is a running back, I just, I don't, I, and don't get me wrong. I love CMC, but like when you watch this team, I just, I don't understand why you don't give credit to the quarterback in this instance. It's really, it's really kind of hard for like people view not giving CMC flowers is like propping up Brock, but taking down CMC. But I just don't see that being the case. I think CMC gets all the recognition he deserves. And I think that's also why they have the offensive player of the year award for those instances where 
you guys might be in the position where you win MVP and offensive player of the year this year. So I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't know why they keep doing this to him. And I think he has a better argument than Dak, because even if him and Dak, like Brock Purdy has the better numbers technically, but even if him and Dak had the same exact numbers, you guys have beaten way better teams than the Cowboys have. So like that should matter a bit in the quality of the opponents that you're facing too. They don't care about that though. Yeah. And I, <laughs> not for Brock, that's, not for Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah. And so for me, like, great question you bring to the table. For me, it's been a broken record all season long. I've been doing nothing but defend Brock on and off this this podcast and saying that he is a top quarterback in this league. And I stand on that hill. I will die on that hill. I, I don't care because what Brock brings to the table is something that no quarterback in Shanahan's system has been able to provide. And that that should be a huge eye opener because Kyle Shanahan you talk to any player who's ever been a part of his offensive scheme, they'll tell you it's one of the most complicated, constantly moving, so many ins and outs and so many levels to his offense. It's it's such a hard system to run and to operate at such a level. And Brock is doing it almost perfectly. They've gone over 30 points in every game except for one that they weren't healthy. But, like, Brock has been that guy for us and like yesterday there was a tweet um from i'm gonna pull it up because this was a really good tweet from david lombardi actually and okay, he said let me see let me see him pull it up here so david lombardi tweeted he said brock purdy's throw to christian mccaffrey was one of the highest level connections we've seen in the nfl this season cmc and purdy actually huddled on the sideline before the drive to make a route adjustment on the fly. Purdy released the ball far before McCaffrey was out of his break. Right there, that's something that even quarterback veteran quarterbacks in this league struggle to do. And that's understanding the defense that's being thrown at you, making an on-the-fly adjustment, and then executing it to 100% perfection. Mm-hmm. Now, that play was awesome. That was, I believe, a third down scenario. Christian nice. McCaffrey broke loose. And it was a beautiful ball once again. And last week, the ball between four defenders to Brandon Ayuk for a touchdown. Like, he just continues to make winning plays. And we're not giving, not we're, the the league is not giving him credit. Fans are not giving him credit. Maybe it's because he's going to your favorite city against your favorite team (laughs) and absolutely pooping on them week in and week (laughs) out. Do you guys just not want to give him credit because he's Mr. Irrelevant? I don't care about the story at this point. Focus on the stats, people. Right. And so let's, I want to talk about that a little bit too, because that, that play where McCaffrey broke away from Moreau on that seemingly third cut, however it was. So what the way the Eagles were defending it, they defend the Niners are such a weird team because nobody defends the Niners. Normally. I don't know what team in the world like that, has to spend the Eagles on. So the Niners were running option routes for McCaffrey to he'll, you know, he's running on the, you know, he'll run on the slot and pick, you know, go left or right a couple of times. They did that earlier in the game on the few times that they did run those plays. The Eagles chose to go man and double team the running back Christian McCaffrey. It's, it's insane to think that teams would go out of their way to double team a running back. That's just how much of a threat McCaffrey is in that spot. And mm-hmm. then for them to, for Brock and him to be aware of the fact that the offense was, or the defense was actually adjusting to them and they got that one-on-one coverage, then they already knew what they were going to run beforehand. And that's just, that's, Brock is a, 
Brock is an elite communicator. And I heard this, so I heard the story before, or like a few weeks ago when CMC first got to the San Francisco. It wasn't, it wasn't Jimmy Gene that was teaching him these plays. He was working off the side with Brock Purdy. And this was before Purdy even got snaps in the offense, before any of that. But Purdy was the one teaching McCaffrey the playbook. He was teaching him plays. He was showing him how to understand. So it just shows the, that Brock was already, he's just, he has a high IQ that's just hard to teach. You, you can't teach guys to be, you know, that aware of things all the time. And I think it's interesting that as Brock gets older, he's slowly, he does look more athletic. That was mentioned in the broadcast a few more times last year, uh, last game that, he feels like he's more athletic. He looks more athletic. He then like yeah. you watched him, he bounced off Bradley Roby. And obviously it could have been because, you know, Roby thought he was gonna slide, but you're breaking tackles and you're still pushing, you know, that's yeah. that's tough. Like that's that's I, some... both those guys that hit him were bigger than him. Yeah, that was tough to guard. Like Reed was able to get him out of bounds, but it's just yep. you know, you watch Jalen make those kind of plays and you're like, Okay, we expect that out of Jalen Hurts, but when you see Brock Purdy do something like that, it's that's pretty good. That's surprising. He's it's an element to the game that what makes Jalen so dangerous, it's making the Niners more dangerous too. And that's something you never would have gotten from Jimmy G or never did, honestly, at any point. So, right. So yeah, I, it's just, it's so funny to me that nobody wants to give that credit where it's due. You know, when I look at last year, when he went out in the NFC championship game, obviously it was, it was a really weird scenario in and of itself. And then we had our fourth string come in. It's a fourth string quarterback, but regardless, like, he wasn't going to put us in that winning situation. And we knew that like at the very least, what he was going to be able to do was maybe dink and dunk. And we might be able to chew some yards and then hopefully our defense gets a takeaway. Like <clears throat> that was, that was the hope at that time. And then he went out. We just didn't have a quarterback the rest of that game. Right. So, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting to me. Um, but I really, for this game, my MVP wasn't Brock coming out of this game. You know, for for what this game was, the MVP for the 49ers was Debo. He showed up with that black Air Force energy that he always that he always provides at the times he needs to most. And I said to my girlfriend right before the game started, um, I said, the amount of trash talk that Debo has been has been saying regarding this game and the Eagles and dating all the way back to the NFC championship, he better the hell bring an MVP level game. And that was exactly what he did over 130 plus yards for three, three touchdowns, right? Three. Yeah. I think he, he had like 490 all purpose yards. Like he was doing everything because he, yeah. he ran the ball too. He got those yards too. He, so. he, he played a very put together game um, in a very dominant fashion. Like it was, it was exactly what I needed out of him. Um, so, oh yeah, he had four, um, two touchdowns receiving one rushing and it was just it was a dominating fashion i mean it was simply he brought all that energy from that trash talk and applied it to his game and that's one thing that i know he's done against dallas with that trash talk i know he's done that against the seahawks like he's done it against the rams it's i feel for the eagles because they might fall into that ownership category meaning that Debo owns that team <laughs> we'll see if he can do it again and continue to keep that up but mm -hmm. you know he was definitely my MVP coming out of this game um CMC was obviously of course a exceedingly dominating exceedingly dominant force um 
you know, he provides something for our offense that not many teams have in this league. And that definitely can't be overlooked, right? That'll right. open up the pass game. So, yeah, yeah, I was I was just thrilled to see the team show up from top to bottom. There was no level in this game that I thought the Eagles had us beat. And that's rare to say. It doesn't mean that there isn't an area that the Eagles in general aren't better than us at. But just in this game, we were better than the Eagles in every level. Right. And, you know, things... There again, a lot of factors that go into this game. You know, again, there was a reason the Eagles were home underdogs. I didn't want to believe it, but I understood that this was a possibility that this was going to happen. And again, yeah. this happens. Every team, you know, goes through losses like this, and plenty of Super Bowl winners have dealt with this before, have gotten beaten down before in a game that was just uncharacteristic for them. Nick Sirianni was playing a little weird. He was coaching. You know, we were down in the third quarter. And we were, it was fourth and one and we should have went or like fourth and two ish. And we didn't go for it, even though it was on our own 30. But at that, at that time, you might as well just go for it. And normally that's something Sirianni does. But at that point, I don't know what he was thinking. And, you know, and Jalen was holding the ball way too long. Like, yeah. And that's a shout out. You know, there's a, you know, he's not holding the ball if guys are open. So, you know, right. you, your defenders were doing a really good job staying on our guys. And that's a product of, when this is why we missed Dallas Goddard in this game too we with him as a third target it provides a little bit more creativity but when everybody knows it's just AJ and Devontae and you guys have the defenders to make up for it you can cover AJ and Devontae yeah and they're making questionable decisions again like they rent they got away from the run I know it wasn't working that well but at the same time it's like they're and you're using a lot of Kenny Gainwell should have used DeAndre Swift more uh it became predictable for sure yeah, and especially, and then on the defensive side, there's not, there's the Eagles, the the Eagles are, have, they did, this was something that was, that should have been addressed in the offseason. And that's just something when you invest so much in one spot, you're, you're saying, I'm going to, you know, that's why there's a cap, there's a salary cap. Like you can't have great players at every single position. You can't just sign everybody that you want. I mean, the Eagles did sign Shaq Leonard, right? So that'll be, that's good news for them in terms of their depth. Up. But, the Eagles spent all this money and draft capital on their defensive front. And now it did really well at first, and then it got neutralized. But then you sign, you pay big money to 30-year-old corners who are, they're sliding. They are now on that downward trajectory. And then your other safety that you traded for, Kevin Byard, is also on the north side of 30. And Reed Blankenship's the only young guy. The Eagles don't have speed. And the Niners have all yep. the speed. And that's when when you when you're saying, hey, Hassan, hey, Josh, you're the two fastest guys, but you already played 140 snaps in the past two games. Like it, it just it, it was set up for failure. But now it doesn't. And when they don't they don't really have any curveballs for it. The Eagles system isn't they don't they were choosing to try to blitz with five. They 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 could have chose to live with five uh, with rushing four and then trying to hold you guys on the back end. but. The Eagles need to start getting creative when it comes to not not creative per se, but just add a few more wrinkles in terms of when because for the past twelve weeks we haven't really needed to make any changes. Our defense works the worked the way it was supposed to. And when you match up against a team like the Niners and you need to throw a curveball, you need to find a curveball to throw. <laughs> and they didn't have that. And I think now was kind of the wake up call that the Eagles needed to say, Hey, we're gonna need to try a few things and practice a few things in game. So you guys can get these reps or when it comes time to make these changes against the Niners again, 
will be ready. Maybe, you know, that's what makes like teams like the Vikings so interesting when you have a coordinator like Brian Flores, who's like, I'm just going to all out blitz you at random times and you're not even going to be ready for it. Or I'm just going to blitz three guys and show you that I'm running all out. And, you know, you got to you got to be creative in that aspect. So the Eagle signing Shaq Leonard, I don't know what that's going to do. That adds depth. The, the linebackers got cooked. And if there's one thing Kyle Shanahan is great at exposing is linebackers and the Eagles were on backups. So it just, it just wasn't good. And the Eagles look worn out. So you, they, it was kind of embarrassing in that sense that they just couldn't stop you, even if they tried and they had opportunities set themselves up. You, they had you guys in good third down positions, but the Eagles are also the worst team in the NFL at allowing third down conversions. So it just was showing, it just wasn't get working the way we should and frustrating to say the least but at the same time not something that can't be corrected and you know at the same time the offense will start getting healthier and hopefully I don't know if we're going to sign Zach Ertz either I know he's available maybe allow that other backup option to you know have more he's played with Hertz before so I don't know if, but I don't know if you know Goddard would like that because he's the guy he overtook all that crap so um yeah, for this game, for me, it's just, it's disappointing, but at the same time, it's like, like I, like I mentioned in the pod, I, I already knew that, you know, this was a possibility and I was prepared for it. And I, I still am not going to change like how I feel about this team because they've beaten great teams and they put themselves in this position to have this letdown game when it should have happened two or three games ago. So mm-hmm. the important thing now is, can they avoid, can they avoid another letdown? Can they bounce back? They got Dallas on the road. They're three-point underdogs, but and Dallas is coming off of an awesome win against a Seahawks team that gave them a good fight. And the Niners get to play the Seahawks, and I don't know how that's going to elevate it. So let's let's talk real quick about what we think this is going to do. What you know, we talked about this a little bit, like how we would feel whether we won or lost. Now the NFC is looking strong. They got the Eagles still at ten and two. Then the Niners and Lions and Cowboys all are at nine and three. Like, that's insane. And the Niners are in prime position to basically run the table. The Eagles have this game at Dallas, and then they have a good chance to run the table from there. But the problem is that the Eagles and Niners tie. You guys have the tiebreaker now. So, and if the Cowboys win against the Eagles, that also opens the NFC East wide open, but the Cowboys schedule does get significantly tougher, including a game against the Lions in the last week of the season. And yeah. the but the Lions have the easiest of the three of the four teams. And then with their I think their toughest game is the Dallas game at the very end of the season than the rest of it. Unless they play the Packers one more time, but I'm not sure if they do. Because that'll be a fun game. But I just, you know, how are you feeling? Do you think that, you know, based off of your remaining schedule that you could you know, end up 14 and three. Yeah, we absolutely could. Um, the toughest game on our schedule is definitely that Ravens matchup on Christmas day. And that's going to be a dogfight. I, you know, when I look at the AFC, it's really one team for me right now. Um, I don't think the chiefs are it this year. They've proved that I've said that before and they've proved me wrong, but this time feels a little bit different. Um, so I, I just don't have that faith in them. Um, I just, I, I really think it comes down to the Ravens. I, I don't, I don't believe in the Dolphins that much. Um, I like their team. I just, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen them dominate um, in games that maybe they shouldn't be dominating in. You know what I mean? Where there's a little bit of um, controversy 
and there's something they need to kind of get get past it doesn't seem like they break that wall down so record wise they look great right right but <laughs> i look at their schedule and everything i'm just like I, it just doesn't it, i'm not sold on them like i am with the ravens so i've got that game circled for sure i think the niners come out and win that one in any fashion i'll feel really good going into the playoffs for sure um, for me like i was thinking about this a lot this last week i was thinking all right if we beat the Eagles in a dominating fashion or a dog fight, how would I feel? And it ended up being regardless to go into the link and get a W in any fashion. I'm okay in any way, shape or form. I don't, I would love to have a first round bye, but in, in that's like kind of a dream scenario. Right. But I don't, I don't think it's that much of a big deal for us to have to play one more game and just keep rolling. If we are rolling at the end of the season, like we are now, like, right. I almost think that we might be better off just playing all the way through, you know, keeping that momentum, not having a break. I know what the Niners can do when they have a certain amount of rest. I mean, we saw it this year yeah. and we saw it this week, but there's just, I've got a better feeling knowing that we we can go into what was the top team in the NFC into their house and dominate, let I alone mean, pick up a win. You've beaten the top, you've beaten the top two contenders in the NFC. Like you've beaten the Cowboys. 42, 42 points each time. 19 we did better. Yes, we did. we did better. Absolutely. You guys, you guys <laughs> put up 19 points in, in recognition for Debo's amazing game. Yeah, exactly. We just, we had to, but, uh, and, and again, at the same time, Again, things I'm I'm confident in the fact that especially if the Eagles get the one seed, I do think if there is a team in this conference that needs the one seed, well, outside of the Detroit Lions, because the Lions definitely need the one seed if they want they a chance. They, January golf on the road in the cold weather environment is not going to work. It's not going to work at all. Um, but if the Eagle the Eagles, given the age of their defense and just the way that they play physical too, but they're worn they're worn they're worn down and they've played. Two overtime games this year. They've played. They've just played a lot of football, especially in in the span of how it is to finish the year. The Eagles are going to get a slight break after Dallas because they play on Monday night, but that technically doesn't mean anything because that means it's another short week going into Sunday. But it's just like tough, tough schedules, tough teams. But again, that was the point of this. I kept mentioning this. That's what. That's the point of winning early in this gauntlet. Like our. We were wondering what the you know what the record was going to be and what we'd be happy with in the first place, like what I'd be happy with, and I'd be happy. I would said if we just split this, you know, split this thing, we're going to be in good position for the playoffs. And at this point, we're heading down that path. We've already we've won four out of the six, and the Seahawks were supposed to be a part of that gauntlet, but they're not. So I just I'm feeling good, and this this game was meant to have you know room for error, and that was the whole point of it. And I'm a, and I'm going to take it as a bad loss that was already coming we were due for that so looking forward i i think we need the one seed if we really want a chance especially if i don't not that i don't think we can't win on the road but going through the link for the super bowl would be that'd be a tough environment for anybody especially as things get colder you never know what the weather's going to be up here and you know santa clara would be the ideal place for anybody because the weather's usually awesome and i know dallas and detroit really want to have it in the dome so i, I would be it would be interesting to see how that works, but Dallas proves to fail in the playoffs every time, whether they're at home or on the road. So 
Yeah, no, that's that's almost a fact at this point. Um, <laughs> as in terms of the rest, I definitely would agree with you. You in that like the Eagles need that first round rest, and that that showed this week more than anything. Um, I think it almost showed last week too because you got a sense of they're getting tired. And you talked about that last week too. You were worried going into it because three games in fourteen days—that's that's a lot of football, right? Yeah. Um, but definitely one thing I saw um, was the th- 49ers played three games in 15 days going into right. this game. Um, and then when I really break it down, if I look at who has the most rest in terms of advantage against their opponents in the league right now, it's the jets, the bears and the commanders. They all have 12 extra days of rest over their opponents, which is the most in the league. Now the opposite end of that, the 49ers, have 20 fewer days of rest than their opponents, which is by far the the fewest in the league. Like it's, it's I just... wonder. Um, I I wonder if teams with the most primetime games go through that, like have the least amount of rest because you're playing Monday, you're playing Thursday, like those kind of games. I feel it makes perfect sense that the Niners would be on there. Well, yeah, what yeah. It, what it is is in an unfortunate mix of primetime games it means we're going from from a monday night game and then not playing like we'll play that sunday and then we'll play the thursday like it's it's and get just a mini buy but it's still the yeah exactly like it, it's it's lined us up for a lot of tough games and one of the tougher stretches was that three game stretch where we did get knocked up and and injured up and it was just it's a tough run but i don't like the NFL is screwing people and teams with their scheduling, similar to the NBA. The NBA is much worse with these back-to-backs, and that's <laughs> going to be something that we talk about down the road for sure. Um, but, yeah, looking at the Eagles, like how old they are on defense, um, it's not a bad team. It's just a team that needs more rest than others. Yeah, and then, and again, it's – you don't see a team that had that this year that's had to play a tougher stretch of games than the Eagles had throughout this. And it's not even just this whole six game period. It's just the last three games, like even the last four, like you're playing the Chiefs, Bills, Niners and Cowboys. And like, that's that's tough. Like for anybody, if anybody else had that lineup and, and then, you know, swap out their team for the Eagles, like it's just tough. Like and to have to do it. You know, you went on Monday night against the Chiefs and then go to Sunday and then play an overtime game. And then you have to come back and try to beat the most physical team in the league that was well rested. That it just that's that's a tough ask. And again, no excuses. You you know, good teams can win in any kind of situation. That's yeah. why I'm that's why I have to have the same level of confidence this weekend, even though the Cowboys have the mini buy. They played on Thursday, so they have the rest advantage. But, you know. That'll be a tough one, too, because they're going to want it really bad because this will set the stage for the one seed or the NFC, the NFC East. So who knows what's going to happen? So it'll be a dogfight for sure. I'm looking forward to the end of this year. Um, For sure. Yeah, it's it's going to come down to the wire. I don't I want to believe in the Lions, but I don't believe in the Lions. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that they get out of. Do they go to Dallas for that game? Yeah, I I forget how this is lined up because so let's say if you if the Eagles or Niners are the one and two seed, they're in but, Dallas. So whoever's the two seed plays seven, right? Who's the seventh seed right now? Is it is it the Packers? Uh, it might be. I'm curious now. We shouldn't. We, well, let's look at the updated standings. 
based off of right now, I guess. Because the yeah. Niners, are, the Niners have the two seed now, right? Uh, that's correct. Wait, no. Yeah, Did yeah, you? we have the, okay. We have the two seed. That's right. Okay, so it's the Eagles one, Niners two, Detroit three. Whoever's the NFC South is four. Falcons, and Falcons. then Cowboys. Cowboys are fifth for the first wild card, and then. Gosh, I don't know much of the NFC. Like, I know. Seahawks are still in there, right? Because Seahawks are six and six. So are the Packers. So yeah, Dallas is the fifth seed right now. Mm-hmm. Um, then we got the Vikings at six. Right. Packers at seven. Yeah. Oh man, this is gonna be fun. This is this is the best time of year because wow. all these yeah. So so the Vikings, the Packers, the Rams, and the Seahawks all have a six and six record. <laughs> oh, that wild card is gonna be crazy. And there's a realistic shot. Oh, there's a there's a realistic shot that any of those teams can get it. Maybe not the Vikings, though. I'm I don't know about them. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, two weeks ago I could have believed it. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know how I feel. So it'll it'll be interesting. That's gonna be great. But whoever you know, so whoever's the two seed will get that seven seed. And yeah. realistically, whether it's either one of us, I'm confident that if either one of those you know, if those teams have to come into either one of our houses to play, like but we'll be we'll be fine. The Packers yeah. maybe. The Packers have proven they can beat good teams now. So they beat Detroit and they beat the Chiefs. That can't be ignored. Like that's that's pretty tough. No, that's true. So, so it, you know. with that being said, how do you feel going into this game against the Cowboys? I feel uh I still have the same reservations. Like I am nervous about the rest advantage. Obviously at the end of the Eagles uh the end of our game, Jalen Hurts did get tested for a concussion. He came out, he was fine. But and they asked him about it after the game. They're like, you know, was that just to rally the guys? And Jalen, I love Jalen. His responses are so great to me. He's just like, we weren't done yet. The game wasn't over yet. Like, we got to fight while we still have, while we still can, even if, you know, you're already down three touchdowns. Like, that mentality that we have, that's the one thing I will always respect in Jalen, and that's what makes him so cool is his ability to just say, it's not over yet. And so long as I'm there, there, there will always be a chance. And um, that's the kind of mindset you're going to have to have in this game. The Cowboys are going to be hungry. They're going to want payback. They feel like they got cheated out of last game on, on the road. And, you know, the Eagles had a good chance to get the common opponent win here, but now I think we still do have that advantage. So long as we beat like the Cardinals and if the Cowboys beat the bills moving forward, that'll be an interesting matchup to watch out yeah. too. But the Cowboys do have the toughest schedule of the three of us, at least. Um, Cause I think they play, I forget who they play, but they start actually playing legitimate teams that are above 500. So um, that'll make things interesting. So they really need this Eagles game. If the Eagles win, the NFC East starts. That's as simple oh, wow. as that. What's so that? they play you guys, then they play the Bills, and then they mm-hmm. play the Dolphins, then mm-hmm. they play the Lions, there and then they go. finish with the Commanders. And there you go. So the Commanders is the easy one. but Yeah, three of those games are away. There you go, and that's that'll seal the deal for them. That's why I'm not as. That's why I don't think they're going to secure the one seat, even if they do beat the Eagles. Yeah, because one of those games I could see them faltering, and if they don't, better you know more power to them. They'll be uh, considered a contender, but they'll still have, but they can still get beat by the Niners or the Eagles. The Niners. I think they're losing the Bills right now. That'd be really cool if they did. I mean, if Josh Allen has another heroic game, that'll be you know. That defense is starting to become overrated now. Like the Eagles yeah. defense, everybody already knew was trash, but the Cowboys defense was talked about as one of the, you know, the one of the class of the NFC. And whenever they play a good team, they're not. So even in Seahawks included, the Seahawks are a 500 team now and they got 35 on them. So that's not, 
but that also include that also vaults Dak into the MVP conversation in that sense, in the sense of like everyone thought that it, the Cowboys system was going to be defense is going to protect Dak, so then Dak can carry. So Dak doesn't have to carry, but Dak has had to carry this team, and it's he's showing that he can. So yeah. that's the hype. But at the same time, you're beating tomato cans. You need to beat. You need to continue to beat better teams, and this will be if Dak runs the table there is a legitimate chance that he wins MVP. And oh, that's, absolutely. So, so you, you know, in terms of the, at this stage, it's going to be, it's Brock first Dak at this point. And if the, if he shows out against the Eagles this week, he, they're going to favor the, the guy with the star on his head. Like they're going to favor him in that conversation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And as they should, honestly, um, you know, for me, as passionate as I got about that MVP conversation, <laughs> It's not the end of the world for me if Brock doesn't get MVP or CMC doesn't get MVP. Um, if they finish in the in the running for it, that'll matter for me. Um, the goal for this team and that's showing towards the fan base and the rest of the league is something so much larger than that, and that's getting to that Super Bowl game and finishing a job that has started years ago and we've been itching to get back to. So, you know. No, for sure. And yeah, so this is this is what this is why the NFL is so great. And I don't and I think it's weird. Like there's been a lot of talk like there's been a lot of mediocrity in the NFL. And I can understand that Tom Brady, you know, said that to Micah Parsons. Um, well, Micah Parsons responded to Tom saying that. But I, I don't disagree. There isn't like the same high level elite talent that we had. But every every league goes through those kind of stretches. And in the next couple of years, it's going to be the top five QBs are literally going to be, you know, Jalen, Brock, Mahomes. <laughs> like it's going to, they're going to be a new tier and they're going to start setting records on their own and doing things that are going to change the narrative of how elite the NFL is. So moving forward, I think that's just something to look out for. This conversation, the MVP conversation, it, you know, Brock will have so much to prove. He still has to prove stuff to people, even though it, the samples just don't see it. And, it works the same way with Jalen too. Like Jalen had an MVP caliber year last year and, you know, he's, you know, kind of fallen off a little in that sense. It's not the same level of production. So now all Brock has to do is continue to sustain. And if he has his guys, it's shown that he can. So that'll be interesting to see moving forward. Um, did you have any final takeaways from the weekend, you know, from the game, anything you wanted to add in terms of, you know, what we, how you experienced it, anything like that? I was just, I'm just thrilled to have the first game on the, uh, behind the back, yes. you know, scoreboard here. So happy about that. It was a, it was a good dub. It was a, it just was not the game I was expecting, at least at the magnitude I was expecting. Um, I think I wanted a little bit more out of Philly and I'm hoping that sure. when we match up in the NFC championship, that we get that top dog, absolute dog fight of the fight of a sure. game. And I, you know, the same thing, like you guys, the Niners will never be fully healthy, especially because, you know, Hufanga is gone. So that, that will always be a thing, but the Eagles have a chance to get healthier. And I know that the team was not at a hundred percent. They're worn down. There's no excuse, but I was mentally preparing for um, a letdown game. And I just know that if you get the Eagles in the playoffs, that, I, that you will get the best game from them and it'll, and that would be more fun. That'll be fun to see if that actually happens. My, I will stand by it. I still think it will be the Niners and the Eagles. Regardless of how the seeding goes, I still think 
when it comes to the NFC, it's going to be the Niners or Eagles. So Agreed. All right, so we'll hop off football. So as I jokingly introed at the beginning of this pod, we will transfer over to the NBA, where the first official in-season elimination rounds will be played tonight. I don't know if one's going right now for the other side, but I know the Kings, the only team we really care about, is playing here at 7 o'clock. So they play against the New Orleans Pelicans, but the New Orleans Pelicans have had our number this year. So what do you think about this matchup, Ben, as the Pelicans come into uh, Sacramento? Because Sacramento did their job and swept the uh, their division or their group, I should say. And after they had an electric game uh, against Golden State last week, so and the and the and the Kings are coming off of a really good win against the Denver Nuggets, so and New Orleans just lost, correct? They lost to the Mavericks, or what was their last? They game? lost oh, to, to the Jazz. The Jazz, right? yeah, the Jazz. So obviously, matchup wise, Zion has been cooking this team. Do you think he will be the biggest difference today? <sighs> That's a tough question because it can be Brandon Ingram. It can be Zion. Um, I think the player that we struggle with the most in in this matchup has proven to be Zion um, more times than not. Uh, when I look at the last two matchups against the Pelicans, you know, I I look at the first one we got obliterated from the first quarter on. It was just, it was at no point. It didn't feel like we were going to have a game. It didn't feel like we were going to get back in it. Um, it was really ugly. The second time around, um, we didn't have Keegan for that matchup, as you pointed out earlier. And, um, and Foxy had a 26 point game, which for him this season is not a good game. Um, and I love that we can say that. Right. It's but where I do find my confidence in this matchup and in this game, rather, not necessarily in the matchup, but in this game is this is an in-season tournament game, which in all of our in-season games, regardless of what has happened in the games leading up to them, we've won every single one of those games. And we faced some adversity, at least in one of them, when we were down 24 points against the Warriors and came back and won that game. and. um I just, I feel like the Kings, having had that seven game playoff series last year against the Warriors, with as much firepower that both teams had, and as much weight as that series carried, meaning there were so many people watching, it's been 17 years since that fan base has screamed at a playoff game. Like there was, there was a lot of factors playing that, right? They've now played those, uh, at least some games where there's a lot riding on them. And so for this game, it is an elimination game. And the last technical elimination game that the Kings played, they didn't win. I feel like they're going to bring their best game that they possibly can. And I think it's going to take the same from the Pelicans to beat them this time around. Um, I definitely want to see Domas do better. He He was playing really well for about a week and a half. He was um towards the end of Foxy's injury while he was still out those last two games he started playing a lot more aggressive being a lot more of that dominant you know all NBA player that we all expect him and want him to be and then within the last like week or so he's kind of taken that step back he's still 
he's still running the offense in a lot of ways and it's still moving through him, but you're not seeing him get to the, get to the rim as dominantly as he has even in matchups that favor him. And when he does get to that rim, he seems like he's missing layups right now. Like he's just, it seems like he's a little off. And so I'm looking for him to be a little more effective at least on the defensive end. I know he's not defensive minded, but he can hold his own against Zion. I know he can. Right. And the other big to look out for is Jonas Valencia Yunus, his uh, Sabonis' teammate from the European team or whatever, you know, where they hail from. But yeah, that so that has been the matchup of when it's physical on physical, it's tough. And this is a game where I really wish we had Alex Len because he his level of physicality really matches. Although JaVale against the Nuggets did a very good job of making his presence known and playing with high energy. If we get that version of JaVale off the bench, we will do a really good job of maintaining with those non-Domas minutes. Um, having Keegan back is important. I think last game he really needed to find his groove and still try to be aggressive, and he started finding his rhythm into the third quarter. We're going to need a huge Malik Monk game again if we want a real chance. Malik shows up in these spots, and he always does well, and we need Fox to play at an MVP level, and it's hard because they're going to put big guys on him. And yeah. It's at home though, so this will be, you know, at home. The we do get good calls. So I I'm interested to see how that works because last game against the Nuggets, that was also at home, but Foxy didn't really get those calls and he needs to just he he needs to just stay aggressive and defensively he always will do his job that that I'm appreciative of. What's gonna matter to me is gonna be defense and how we finish out possessions. Can we we can't give up offensive rebounds? We need to hit our threes. Like it's it's gonna be tough. Yeah. Like every in these kind of games, every point matters. But I do agree that the experience that the Kings have generated over the past couple over the over the playoff series and during this in season tournament, we always seem to show up and play our best yep. basketball in the in season tournament. And even when we were down twenty four to the Warriors, it never what bugged me about that is we had so many opportunities when I was watching. It was just like we were fine. It like it just wasn't bouncing our way. It wasn't going it wasn't our falling. way. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was. We were being frustrating to the Warriors. They were starting mm-hmm. to get in their own head. Draymond ruined the whole mo- you know momentum by being himself. He and, was the best player on the Kings for a minute there. Yeah, exactly. So he you know he he swung that momentum and yeah, you know we're starting to see the Warriors really have an existential crisis with their old players and. How that's all going to work out it remains to be seen, but the the Pelicans are really good. I respect the heck out of Brandon Ingram. I think he's a good player when he's not, you know, when he's healthy. CJ McCollum being back, he could hurt us. So hopefully Fox has to do a good job of getting pressure on him, and Keegan needs to do a really good job on matching up with Brandon. I think he's going to match up with Brandon. Then they're going to try and put HB on Zion for stretches and. I don't know how that's going to work out. So, we'll, you know, it's, Zion's going to be the guy. If we can try mix-up coverages, I'm sure Mike and Jordy have something planned up for that matchup. And again, we only lost by five last time. So I think they were starting to figure out bits and pieces. And they're not. Uh, Chris Duarte will also not be playing. So that's something to look out for, too. He's a good, big physical guard. So, you know, we're going to need good minutes from Keon. Davion should be back, too. But I don't know about going undersized in this game with Malik already on there, too. So... That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, you know, one one area that I feel like we could almost benefit from is CJ being CJ McCollum being back. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done really well this season to this point with guarding anybody who's at a guard position other than Steph Curry. 
Um, <laughs> but um, it's shown that, you know, our guards will bring the toughness on both ends of the court. And we've seen that. And so that's one thing like CJ is going to take touches away from Zion and away from Brandon Ingram, right? Just as Brandon Ingram and Zion are going to take touches away from each other. It's, it's just kind of one of those situations when you have really good players, it's just about distributing the ball. So I look at, I look at the Pelicans and since CJ came back, he's been playing pretty well. He put up like 18 points and then he put up like 20 in the last two games that he came back. Um, since he came back. And so I view it as he feels like he's on a roll. The Pelicans probably feel like he's, he's back and he's good to go. So they're going to really incorporate him into that offense. And if that's the case and we can continue to play the same level that we've been playing against these guards, I think that that'll work to our advantage, especially if we can capitalize on defensive rebounds. Now that's one area that, especially with Zion being down there, like you, we got to be hungry to get that defensive rebound, to get any loose ball, any 50-50, you can't view it as a 50-50. You got to view it as it's ours. Like that's, that's really where you got to win these tough, gritty games where you're not necessarily favored, you know, like even, I think we are favored in this one. I think we are too. Yeah. But yeah, but like for us matchup wise, it doesn't feel like we're necessarily favored, right? Yeah. We struggle against these longer teams, but we did a really good job against a team like Minnesota and now, you know, so it just, it shows that if we, Again, foul, foul and trouble is going to be the key in this game, too. If we can play the aggressor, what I, one thing I've noticed during these in-season tournament games is we go aggressive to start these games. Like we, yeah, we, it, it just seems like when that, when that court is colored, they're very, they know exactly what they have to do and they got to go for it. And they just have to play aggressively and hopefully we can draw some really fouls. Hopefully, you know, again, we just need to establish rhythm early. If we if we force them to have to try and come back on us and then we can go through our ups and downs that we normally do, I just think that we'll, if the Kings play from ahead, it'll be a lot easier. If we struggle and start falling a little far behind and try to have to work our way back against this team, it's going to be tough. Yeah, definitely agreed. So for this one, do you think it's do you think it's more crucial that Fox pops off or that Domas is more our key to win? Like, which one would you view? needs to play their best game if one had to play better than the other if one had to play better than the other i would say fox fox needs to go off with the scoring and i know it's because it's like it's easy to say but when he's consistently scoring and just you know in a rhythm the whole time it's so hard to stop and one thing that i'm really looking one thing i'm really looking at is our bench our bench has done such a great job this year of maintaining runs for us and this team is really at its best when everybody gets involved so if kevin can hit a few threes keegan hits a few shots then malik comes in he's out here hitting a few shots and javel's getting a good block sasha comes in hits a shot like it if we can just establish a rhythm as a team because this is a good defensive team they got a lot of long guys who are able to defend very well so this it'll be very important to see how this kind of turns out if we can just if we can just do exactly what we did against Denver and play as a team and just have everybody involved, we'll, there's a great chance we'll win this game. Yeah, definitely agreed. Um, and I think that going back to your point, like we play these in-season tournament games so aggressively and really well put together. Um, I think that we have a good shot at it. I really do. Um, so definitely looking forward to that. That's going to be a fun one. Um, yeah, for hopefully sure. Hopefully we're talking about going to Vegas here in a week because – I don't know yeah. when those games start, but I, I'm pretty sure it rolls into them pretty soon. So we got 
two tonight. So one, our game is one of them. And I think Indy and Boston play tonight. I forget exactly the matchup. Mm-hmm. I know. So I know it's one from the East Coast. It's one from the East, one from the West. And then I know then there's two games tomorrow. So that's how it's going to go. Whoever wins okay. these games will go to Vegas. But what what are the matchups again? So tonight is tonight is Pacers and Celtics, mm-hmm. and then tomorrow is Knicks Bucks, and then Suns Lakers. Suns Lakers. Okay, so let's play a little hypothetical. Who would you want to play, Suns or Lakers? Oh man, that's tough, huh? Honestly, give me either one because I feel like we would, I feel like we would match up really well if I had to choose. I want the Lakers just I want the Lakers just, too. just to eliminate them. <laughs> like that would be such a fun feeling, you know? Um, and, and we I have the like, number. Yeah. And I feel like in terms of like getting a good story and talk about bringing a rivalry into this, you know, in season tournament, there's no other real rivalries on, at least on the East coast there that are involved in the in season tournament still. So this is like the last real rivalry left. So I almost I almost wanted to play out that way because I think that would be like the most viewed game. Perfect. And then so let's go for the East. So I'm I'm curious. Do you want? I I was I texted this yesterday because I wanted to speak it into existence. How awesome would it be if the first in season tournament final was Indianapolis versus the Kings with the whole trade drama, everything that comes with it. Tyrese versus Fox, Domas playing in the. How would, how would you feel about that matchup? Bro, the headlines would just be <laughs> insane. But it would it would be fun for a few reasons. The first one is just it solidifies that win-win trade, like mm-hmm. officially. Like it would it would officially put to bed that this team over that team was better off in whatever scenario. Like Agreed. we need to all get past that because this was as even of a trade that we've ever seen in I think it's history. still more even than yeah than Trey and Luca on draft night. I really do, yeah. and I think both of those were win win. But when I look at it, I'm like, why did Atlanta move on from Luca? Because <laughs> Luca seems to be proven he's more of a franchise player when he's not crying. But right. you know, than Trey. But uh, I love that. No, that would be an awesome headline, and I think the matchup just between Hallie and Fox. I want Fox to. Oh, just I know. Destroy Howie. I really well, do. I love Howie, but yeah. I mean, they struggled. Have they beaten us since the trade? I'm tr- or have, yeah, have, they have beat they us done it once. Right? They beat us one time, and I remember like Buddy Heald posted like light the beam oh, or that's something right. like that. He totally did some that. corny post. I was like, come on, dude. You <laughs> had like four them. points. We yeah. cooked them one of the matchups too. We beat so. them, like twenty something points. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. So let's put this. So would that be your preferred matchup in the East, or who do you think would will come out of the East? If you're being realistic. So, all right. There's, there's two questions and there's two answers there. I would mm-hmm. say my preferred matchup is I would love to see that Pacers and Kings. Yeah. Um, Personally. I think that's probably my, my top one where, mm-hmm. where I think it goes. If we make it all the way, I think we're playing the Celtics because I, I, I want to so pick the Celtics over the Bucks right now. And I think Giannis would have a big night, but I just I, I look at the Celtics and I look at what they're doing on the defensive and the offensive end, and it's just it's kind of not kind of it's dominating, man. They're they're a really really good team right now, and they're not one to be messed with by any stretch. I mean, they're first in the East for a reason. Yeah, and the and the Bucks have been a little inconsistent. Their defense has not worked the way they thought it was going to with the Dame trade, and Dame's been a little inconsistent, still trying to find that groove. Yeah, and. 
I would like the matchup better. I think it'd be a more fun, even matchup versus Boston. I think we just match up better versus them. Um, but again, personally, Indy for sure. But and in the West, we definitely want the Lakers. So this is gonna be fun. Like hopefully we get, you know, hopefully the Kings give us that chance. And hey, if they don't, they made it this far, and we got to say we beat the Warriors in the process so far. So I right. think so. You know, now that we're starting to come to the finale of all of this, how how was you know what did you think of the first you know NBA in season tournament? Like, what did you like? What did you what did you not like? Is there something you think you would you know change from this? I was I was really skeptical going into it, to be honest with you. Um, I am my main skepticism came from I just don't know how well it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, our guys going to get super injured. Like, you know, how is it going to shake down? When I look at how this first one has played out, when I look at just how fun these matchups have been looking at these in-season games. The only thing I have to bash on is just the court designs. I just, I feel like they could be a lot better in terms of you want to separate how it looks on a TV, the way you have it in terms of how that court looks. It's just, it's not it. The, The courts just, a lot of them are a miss for me. And I understood the design. So the design, I didn't understand at first, but like, so the whole stripe in the middle is like the strip on the way to Vegas and stuff like that. So like when they mentioned that, I was like, okay, that makes way more sense. But I agree because certain courts look great, especially even on TV, like the King's Court. Mm -hmm. That sounds biased, but like, I love the gray on the blue. But then you go to, but then you go to a couple of the other ones and like, let's take Miami, for example. I'm not going to hate on it, but like it's the bright red and the black. It just felt too much at times and i just and even i think denver's court was a little weird too um i kind of like those neutral style courts like minnesota's was good i liked minnesota's too and a lot of the jersey combos that come from this were also very very cool um i'd wonder if that's something they're going to tweak the design itself maybe they try to do you know different designs every year just slightly different um i think in terms of the way this works was awesome i don't remember I think uh, I was listening to Bill Simmons podcast and he's like, I don't think I've ever cared more about November basketball ever in my life. Like it's exactly. Yeah. It creates, it created some, created a playoff atmosphere game. Like statistically it was the case too. Like most, uh, the regular NBA season games that were played in November, the average margin of victory was about 12 points. And then when it was an in-season tournament game, the average margin of victory was six. So it it really narrows it down because guys care about this. And the other the other cool thing about it too is let's put a really, really, really unfortunate scenario out here. And that's mm-hmm. that the Kings missed the playoffs last year. Okay. We're looking at year 18 without the playoffs. But we have this in-season tournament and it is prov- it's proved to be super fun, super exhilarating, and really up upbeat. Like everything's been really close. Like you were saying, the margin of victory, right? And so it brings that playoff atmosphere to a city that maybe hasn't seen it in 18 years, if if that were the case, right? But right. you look at a team like Detroit, you look at another team like the Hornets, who who just haven't quite made it to that playoff atmosphere in, in, in a little bit. And they're able to get these um, these games that just have a little more weight to them and feel a little bit more fun. And I'm sure for that fan base and for that city, that's got to be that's got to be something, right? It's got to have some yeah. some weight to it. Yeah, I agree. And I, again, I also think this benefits teams who do make the playoffs. And it also benefits these young teams who are growing. Because like you mentioned, those fan bases, you know, on the lower tier, they're not going to see those playoffs just yet. 
And to yeah. be and for players, it's really hard. How do you build reps in the playoffs without getting there? So right. having the in-season tournament here, I think it's only going to improve the way players play, the way teams play. These exactly. young guys are going to see a level that they're just not used to. And I think that's, yeah, agreed. It's super beneficial. I think one thing I would do, and, uh, you know, Bill Bill Simmons was talking about this too. He's like, I would add an extra game just so it would even out some of these tiebreakers and have a, you know, more clear winner. And I, I like the point differential thing. I think fans, like when we were watching the early games, fans were really understanding what was going on. They're like, why are they scoring up 20? Yeah. And like, I liked the whole idea of, oh, oh hey, if you, you know, you lose by you know like the king's situation if we lost by 10 we still would have moved on and it adds a second layer of how teams coach too because you could be the warriors they could have been up 10 and they still have to play staff in the last minute exactly. or two if they want to have these games so it keeps the stars on the floor and you know to the chagrin of much of the coaches who don't want to do that but it creates pressure and it was so cool it was so cool to see like i thought it was a huge success just for the group stages so i'm interested to see how these knockout rounds go yeah, and I, um, you know, I didn't get to go to any of the in-season tournament games. I, I wanted to for sure, um, but I did know a couple people that went to uh, the Warriors game, and they were just talking about what that atmosphere was like. And they were like, you know, you want to talk about a playoff atmosphere in November? Like that was that was it for sure. Like, yeah, just walking into the arena, you felt like this was a different night. Obviously, that probably had something to do with the fact we were playing the Warriors, and there's there's a legit rivalry there now, and that you know that's awesome. I love that, yeah. um, you know. So that's fun. That's that's really good for the league. That's really good for the Kings. That's good for the Warriors to have a new rival. Like mm -hmm. um, it's going to be good going forward. But yeah, to bring that kind of an atmosphere in November, it just it just feels right. You know, it it adds two levels to the to the season. That's like there's this thing at the beginning of the season that we're going to work really hard at. And then whether we win or lose, we got to, we got to figure some stuff out in the middle here and then get to the next big goal, the real big goal. And that's getting to the playoffs, getting to the finals, right. taking that, taking that big boy home. And it was cool because like you even there, they did interviews with some of the veterans that were playing, right? Like for the, I think they did one with Dame for, for example. And they, he, he's like, Oh yeah. Like these games matter because there are, there are guys on my team who clearly don't make as much as I do. And for me to not play as hard when I could give them an opportunity to make, you know, to get a paycheck that actually means something to them. Like it, it and you know, these guys are playing for each other and yeah. you get to, again, you're learning a playoff atmosphere. And at the same time, like I just loved, like they said, they mentioned that for the Kings, Kings versus Warriors game out of the entire group stage games that were played, that was the most watched one. So that emphasizes how much people like watching the Kings and the Warriors play each other on the it's national a fun stage. Matchup, it's man. The, it was the best matchup of the playoffs. I don't care what anyone says. Like that yeah. first round series was a classic. And I think, and again, it shows that it helps the Kings players as well as the fans. It's, it very much shows like we can beat this team and to do it in the in season tournament game where at times the Warriors were like, dang, I wish we, we were up 20. We probably could have played this differently if it was just a regular game, but it's not. And that's what makes it fun. So, yeah, it was it was so interesting in that Warriors game to feel that hope of, you know, we're only down 20. We only got to get back nine points and we move on. You know, it was like yeah. it felt wrong, but it was like, no, 
I'm taking this victory because, you know, the Kings have struggled against the Warriors since game seven. So I'll take that victory. And then we're down eight and we're like, yes, we're going to win this thing. And then we actually won it. And we're like, holy shit, we won. Yeah, (laughs) in the fashion, that was was crazy. It was just a plethora of of emotions. And it was was really fun to see. So Mm -hmm. if there was like one thing that you could change with the in-season, is there anything? I would say just maybe add an extra game, maybe even two. Like I, I think having these games, Maybe, maybe, maybe just keep it five, but because there was times where I'm like, okay, this team's playing just three regular season games. I do love the fact that it counts for a regular season game too. I do too. Because it's not something separate. It's, it, it's a part of the season and these games matter. I also think that's why we're seeing like parody in the records too, because they're matching up against teams they normally wouldn't. Some of them are in within the division, but others were just within the conference and it just made things way more intense knowing that you mm-hmm. could you're matched we could match up with any one of those teams in the playoffs like we got good games against the thunder we got good games against the wolves and we got the warriors those are all three teams that we could play in the playoffs and we got to test that and i thought that was really cool yeah definitely agreed so any final thoughts on tonight's game i'm just excited to see what the atmosphere is like this is an elimination game so this is cool like in the regular season it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel normal and i think this is this is going to show a lot especially with the kings on the national stage people get indie on the other side like indie boston's going to be crazy yeah um like i already know it even if and even if it's not like the result we're hoping for i think this was a success like this like shout out adam silver for creating something that was just that cool and the idea was smart and players bought in i really love the way all these guys bought in and tonight i just hope the kings step up and you know flex their muscles a bit and just show that they are capable of winning these tough games because if we position ourselves we can at least come out of the west and give ourselves a real fighting chance to win this thing definitely yeah i would agree with that it was it's definitely a w for the nba and it's a w for fan bases all around the league especially in my opinion especially for those that haven't seen the playoffs in x amount of years it's it's fun to have that energy that different energy than just a normal regular season for them so yeah big w on on the league even if they lose like you're at least in that environment and that's so much fun to be like i remember how cool it was being a part of that playoff atmosphere for the first time as a kings fan and it was it was it's a memory that's just hardened like i'll never forget it (laughs) dude like yeah as diehard of a fan as i've been you know for my entire life i couldn't remember the last time the kings were in the playoffs i had this core memory engraved in my mind from kevin martin's game winner in the last sacramento kings game the last sacramento kings playoff game before last year and i i like always will remember that but i can't remember like the actual playoffs themselves right so last year when we made the playoffs when it was like when we clinched in portland i shed one tear and i was like (laughs) all right that was cool like we clinched we're there (laughs) but then dude when that team took the court and they did the whole like TV breakdown and they showed the fans like the whole announcement and everything and just seeing and feeling that atmosphere through the television. Unbelievable. It didn't feel like you were feeling it through the television. It felt like 17 years of pure pain just going out the window and you just <laughs> felt this almost like renewed wave over the organization, over the fan base, over everything. And it was, it really did. It brought me to tears, you know, like I was. Yeah. I will always remember that day and getting those first two wins was like, holy crap, we're going to sweep the Warriors. And obviously that didn't happen. Right. But that's, that's the emotion that that 
playoff series brought to Kings fans, but especially to me. Yeah. And again, because some teams get there and they do get swept. Like that's the reality. Right. Like in teams like that are in our position who aren't there for a while, they go in and they get swept. And it was a like, legit thing. We thought it might happen. Yeah. And when, when we got those first two, we're like, oh my God, we might actually do it. But the fact that we got the first one in general, I think the fact that we went one for one at the time was yeah. just like everything encapsulated all at once, the emotion. And then making it to game seven was awesome. And yeah, you know, this year, hopefully the Kings can do that in the playoffs. But again, they're getting these games that will continue to test their metal for the important games moving forward. And that nah, in-season tournament was great. So, yep, definitely. All, all right, guys. So this was episode 20 of the Behind the Back podcast. We love what we've been doing with you guys. This has been so much fun for us. So thank you, guys. And again, now that we're on YouTube, please give us a shout out. Give us a comment. Subscribe, like, do all that fun stuff. And if you listen to it on the audio, that's also great, too. We love to have anybody out here checking us out who like what we do. And again, we love to hear any comments that you guys have. You can send us comments on YouTube or you can hit us up at behindthebackpod13 at gmail.com. Hit us up on any one of our social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, X, Facebook, all that fun jam. We'll have our links to everything in those descriptions anyway, as well as the description in the episodes for the audio listeners out there. So if you want to check us out on YouTube, we will post our YouTube channel below. So please give us a follow. Let us know what's up. But I'm Marcos Conan Agron, and beside me here is Benny the Jet, Bang Bang Niner Gang. Congrats on the win, my dude. Will be more to come for sure. And I'm really excited for, you know, what we can get for football and basketball. This is going to be lit, dude. All right, guys. Peace. Peace.